is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi there, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 432, recorded on the unusual day of Wednesday, May the 1st, 2019. May the 1st? It doesn't feel like May the 1st out there, my friend. It is raining and cold and just generally craptastic. Yeah, that's more of a April thing. Uh, that's not more a May of a, thing. More of an April 1st thing, that's right. So I'm not happy with the weather, but what else is new? Uh, yeah. I am happy that we're recording again, though. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. I'm I'm fine with rain. The rain was coming straight down. What more can you ask for? As opposed to sideways? That's the bad yeah, kind of Yeah, going sideways, up, whatever. You know, as long as the rain is coming straight down, I'm happy. Because you put on a hat and it catches most of it. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, if rain was coming up from the ground, that'd be awfully weird. I once thought that, you know, you know how some in modern showers, there's, you know, a shower head above you. And sometimes there's ones on the sides and they shoot you in the... In the hips and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, right in the in the hips. Okay, I got gotcha. you. That's right. <laughs> I I thought to myself one day, well, wouldn't it be cool if there were there were uh, jets on the bottom on the floor too? And then I realized that that wouldn't work at all. No, that'd be more like a shower slash bidet. <laughs> yeah, and if they were powerful <laughs> enough, it'd be rather uncomfortable <laughs> or pleasant. It uh, all depends on how you uh, appreciate. That kind of shower. I suppose. Yeah. But what if like it missed and it went straight up your nose or something? Yeah. Something. You'd have to take precautions. You would. You got to put on your shower helmet <laughs> and then get yeah. in there. That's more like a dishwasher, right? With jets coming in all different directions. Ooh, human dishwasher. Human dishwasher. Yeah. Now you're talking. All right. Well, anyways, I don't think that's a thing, but uh, this podcast is a thing. It's been a little while, so I'm I'm glad we're back. I've missed the recording a little bit. We had some technical difficulties getting started. Uh, but I think this is going to work. I, I, I really hope this is going to work. I have my fingers and toes crossed. Okay. I've uh, only, oh, I haven't actually crossed any. I have my legs crossed. Does that help? My legs are crossed. I think it helps. Anything. Okay. All right. Good. So the question really is, though, Jason, what are we going to do on the podcast today? And I want to start by telling everyone that there is not really any Walking Dead content on this episode. So if that's what you're here for, I apologize, but I highly recommend you stick around because we are going to talk about some exciting stuff. Yeah, we are. We're going to talk about some, uh, some good stuff, but, uh, yeah, if you're looking for, if you're looking for walking dead specific, uh, things you might, uh, and don't want to listen to crap about some other junk and stuff or whatever, then, uh, you know, feel free to skip it. I, I guess so, but I highly recommend you don't. We are going to talk about the most recent movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that is, of course, Avengers Endgame. It's been out for just under a week as we record yep. this. We're also going to talk about the first two episodes of the Netflix show Black Summer, as promised. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get to that. I can tell you one thing for sure. Something we're not going to talk about is Game of Thrones. Are you sure? Uh, listen. Because I've seen it, you've seen it. We're spoiling friggin' shit left, right, and center in this episode. Are you sure we're not talking about Game of Thrones? We are not going to talk about Game of Thrones on this right. episode. Okay. We might spend some time on it on a future episode. I don't know. What I really want to do with Game of Thrones, if we talk about it at all, is wait until the final season is done and then just look at it as a whole. I don't want to get okay. into it in the middle here. That's fair. 
But uh, a listener, Kelly, on the internet wrote in and said, I recently started to watch Game of Thrones and I am looking for a podcast to listen to along with it. Do you guys have any recommendations? So, yeah. Okay, well, I've got two. And if you have one, why don't you go first? No, I don't have any. I just, I know you have some. (laughs) All right. I believe in you, Chris. You (laughs) wouldn't have brought it up if you hadn't had a recommendation. That's very, very true. So I'm just kind of uh, assuming that you do have one. I can think of one. I don't know the name of it, but you're going to recommend it anyway. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we have some. Okay, well, I've got two to recommend. Number one is called The Cast of Kings. And it is hosted by Dave Chen from the Slash Filmcast. You might know that one. It's a popular movie uh, podcast. And his co-host is Joanna Robinson, who writes for VanityFair.com. It's a great show. They do a good job recapping the episodes. And nobody thinks about Game of Thrones more, I don't think, than Joanna Robinson. So she um, she is an expert on the show. You can find them at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. Go there, check it out. And the other one is House Podcastica, which is, of course, the one hosted by our friend Jason over at The Walking Dead cast. So if you're already listening to him about The Walking Dead, highly, highly, highly recommend check out uh, House Podcastica at housepodcastica.com for his coverage of Game of Thrones. I think he he often has different co-hosts uh, that he, that he right. works with on that one. Um, so definitely, definitely check that one out, too. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. I knew Jason did one. I didn't know what the name of it was, but uh, that's the one I was thinking of. Right. So there, there's a couple of recommendations. Um, grab those. They're both fantastic, and uh, I highly recommend them. Now, speaking of Jason from Podcastica, we are, I've been talking to him, and we are going to record our annual Walking Dead season wrap-up crossover episode with them on, it looks like May 17th. So I realize okay. that's still a little while, uh, but we're now into May. So it's not, you know, it's going to come up quickly. And that'll, of course, be with him and Karen, his, you know, not as often co-host anymore, but really? she'll, she'll be there for that. Yeah. And it's always a great time. So keep your eyes on our feed and their feed for that. You can find all his shows at podcastica.com, including House Podcastica or The Walking Dead cast or the other ones he does too. Cool. So we've got that coming up. Uh, okay, let's get into what we are actually here to do today, Jason. The first thing we are going to cover is Black Summer. Okay. Because it is zombie-related, so not Walking Dead, but zombie-related. If you're a fan of, uh, you know, zombies, you might have watched this show. We do have some people who've written in and, and let us know that they have. And I've been hearing really good things about it. So I wanted to talk about it here. Now, we haven't seen the whole first season yet, even though it's out there. Right. We didn't have time, or at least I knew I wouldn't have time, so I didn't yeah. want to commit to the whole thing. But we've watched the, uh, episode one and episode two. The first one is called Human Flow. The second one is called Drive. And uh, that's, that's what we've gone through so far. So here's the plot summary from Wikipedia. Six weeks after the start of the zombie apocalypse, when a mother is separated from her daughter, she embarks on a harrowing journey, stopping at nothing to find her. Thrust alongside a small group of American refugees, she must brave a hostile new world and make brutal decisions during the most deadly summer of a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. So that's not so a this bad... Is the, this is the outset. This is the onset of the, the real zombie apocalypse. I mean, we've had a... Uh, there was... 
you know, six weeks after it started. So we've had a, a zombie uh, event and then there was it, then it got escalated to a zombie situation and then uh, escalated from there. I forget the whole zombie scale. So it was uh, <laughs> an event to situation to crisis to apocalypse. There's a fifth one in there somewhere. Yeah, you, but, you, uh, you missed one there. I think crisis is four and apocalypse is five. Yeah. So I there's don't. a zombie event. Uh, I think a situation. Yeah, situation. And then you're right, crisis and apocalypse. But what's number three or four? I we I can't remember mm. now. Jeez, that's too bad. Anyways, anyway, yeah. So there's a zombie scale. A zombie event is just this thing, right? It's just this little thing happening. We, you know, a report of zombies somewhere, mm-hmm. and it's you know it got uh, quelled. And then uh, and then the zombie event would be something a little more significant. No, uh, sorry, and- that's the event. The situation is a little bit more. Sub- Specific. Yeah, you have a zombie, you know, uh, oh yeah, okay, zombie event and situation. <laughs> and right. Crisis. Anyway, there's a whole zombie scale that I wrote years ago that made perfect sense. But uh, this is, you know, from, from the onset of the zombie uh, event to a full-on zombie apocalypse. So this is the beginning of the apocalypse segment of uh, of the uh, uh, of the, the zombies coming. Uh, so it's been... Uh, it's been six weeks, but this whole show takes place in the the first, the opening hours of the full-on zombie apocalypse. When you say the whole show, do you mean the first episode or the whole first season? Well, the whole first season, I the whole the summer, right? So it takes place oh. during the first summer of the full-on zombie apocalypse. I mean, it doesn't take place right at the beginning because, yeah. you know, there'd be a lot of people sitting around going, what the hell's going on over there and wherever land? And now it's... <laughs> It seems to be growing, and then all of a sudden you're starting to, you know, put cans of food in a backpack kind of thing. Why is that dude eating that other dude? Something must be going on. Yeah, that seems a little odd. Well, it's happening more and more these days. I, I feel the need to point out that this show is from the same producers as Z Nation. Do you remember Z Nation? I do. So we watched and talked about the first pilot episode of Z Nation when it came out, which was five years ago already if you can believe it uh so this is the same producers and black summer is set in the same universe as that show oh. so this so it's is a spinoff it is a spinoff this is the early days uh of the z nation apocalypse i remember not really liking z nation very much um, i have no memory of it whatsoever other than the fact that we covered it at some point and it had harold perrineau in it remember from lost no clearly you do not <laughs> well i don't I didn't like that show very much. I even watched the second episode and there were a few things in the second one that were okay. I thought better than the pilot, but the show is in its fifth season now. I I don't know if it's still going, but there have been five seasons of the show. So somebody's watching it and they keep making it. Uh, but I was surprised to find out that black summer is in the same universe. Um, and here's another quote also from the Wikipedia page at the 2018 San Diego comic-con. Producer Carl Schaefer noted that Black Summer is before the apocalypse got weird and was just scary. He said that the horror series is not intended to be the funny version of The Walking Dead or Z Nation, uh, that Z Nation is, but would instead be more of an old school take on zombie lore. This was echoed by producer Jody Binstock, who stated that the series is not tongue in cheek. It's very, very serious. It's as if the zombie apocalypse really happened in 2018 and explores what the world would be for all of us. Right. So question, Jason. Yeah. Generally, what did you think of the first couple episodes of Black Summer? 
And does the show deliver from what you've seen so far on this promise of it being or premise of it being a very serious take and scary take on the onset of the zombie apocalypse? Okay, so I'm going to answer your second question first. Sure. So does it deliver uh, on that promise? Absolutely, it does. Uh, I didn't get comedy from this. Is that what Z Nation kind of is? Z Nation had an element of the absurd, ridiculous, and funny to it, for sure. But this one doesn't have that at all. No, it absolutely does not have have that. So this is it's very serious take. It's very uh, kind of it's harrowing. It's uh, action oriented, and it's uh, it's deadly serious it's yeah there's no comedy in here not that i could detect in any way shape or form no not at all and, and to answer your your first question second uh did i like it i don't think i liked it liked it but i think for what it is it's quality that <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is it's quality <laughs> <laughs> For, you know, that harrowing kind of uh, action-oriented, yeah. serious zombie apocalypse, you know, opening of the zombie apocalypse, uh, you know, having to survive, uh, you know, the the dead marauding and the living being assholes. Yeah. Uh, it absolutely delivers on that, on that promise. And I think it does that well. I don't think it's my cup of tea. And I don't even like tea. Well... I mean, what, what, I don't know if the, you'll be able to answer this question, but, uh, wh- what is it about, you know, the walking dead that makes that your cup of tea, but not this one? It's, it, there's more talking. <laughs> in walking dead? Basically in the walking dead. It boils yeah. down to, uh, it's more, I mean, it, you know, within the first two episodes of, uh, uh of black summer, we, you didn't really, there was no real room for character development. Right. It's basically these people are in a situation mm-hmm. and they're dealing with that situation. And that is good. And that's what it's supposed to be. And that's what it would be like. I mean, in the, in the, uh, in this situation where, you know, the world has gone to shit and you're just fighting to survive and to find your kid, uh, you know, you're not going to be sitting down and talking about your past experiences and how you've grown as a person since the zombie apocalypse has, uh, broken out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there would be no actual character development. So that's fine, you know, and that's, it is what it is. And I think it's quality, uh, what it is. I just, I, my cup of tea is a lot more talking, a lot more character driven stories, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. It does, um, sort of contrast the pilot of the walking dead quite a bit. If you think about back to Rick waking up, most of that episode is him by himself. Uh, yeah. wandering around, wondering what's going on, not immediately encountering the threat of zombies. I mean, obviously he does pretty quick in the hospital and so on, but he's he doesn't know what the hell is going on. And it's all him and it's all him trying to figure it out. Black Summer is, we're past that. We're six weeks in, people know what's going on. There's some sort of fighting back happening. There is some kind of evacuation type scenario happening and people know the dangers they know and they know what they're supposed to do. And that's yet at the beginning of the episode, get to that, you know, military checkpoint and get on a truck and get to a stadium somewhere, which apparently is safe. So, uh, you're right. There was mostly action and people running around fleeing and just trying to stay safe. Now I thought that was pretty good. I liked the first episode a lot. 
the, the my problem is that uh, as I'm growing older and as my TV chase TV um, tastes are changing, it's getting more and more to the point where if it's got a car chase in it, I'm probably not going to like it, and that's a problem. Because and it's changed from what it used to be. My my tastes. I loved the TV show Twenty Four. That's all action, right? It's just right. You, you know Jack Bauer going from situation to situation to doing some strange shit to not eating to, uh, you know, living through his day one moment at a time. And it's all action, all car chase. And I loved that show mm-hmm. from the outset. I watched every single episode of that show, and I absolutely loved it. I tried going back and watching the first season again i can't watch it Hmm. it's just it's just it doesn't appeal to me anymore so my tastes are changing right and if it's got a car chase in it which this one literally did uh most likely it's not going to be something that i latch onto. now that's not saying it's not good like i recognize that this was quality storytelling right just a different kind of storytelling that you're not as into anymore Yes. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for you, but I wouldn't discount car chases altogether as something that turns you off on a show because you can do that kind of stuff really well. But I think what you're saying is if that's all it is, then yes. it's not going to be your cup of tea. Um, I I do kind of agree this episode and really both of them were mostly that because it was a lot of stage setting you know it was it was introducing us to these characters introducing us to the rules of the world not really giving us that much about the characters um but just enough so that we learn their names we sort of figure out their relationship to each other if they have one and kind of get them from kind of leaving their houses the safety of their houses to the chaos of what's going on around them and then kickstarting the story there. So I was okay with that. I thought it was pretty entertaining. I thought the structure of the way they told the story by showing the same events from different perspectives, uh, yep. or, or at least overlapping the events a little bit from different perspectives, I thought that was not really anything new or unique, but used pretty effectively on this show. Yeah. And it was yep. mostly the first episode. The second one didn't really have that, but they did keep the format of throwing up big title cards with characters names or if it wasn't a character's name it was kind of like a segment name almost you know they they called one bicycle and it had to do with a you know some characters driving around they run over a kid's bicycle it gets stuck under the car and they have to deal with that while there's a zombie you know running at them from from the back so um i thought that was pretty cool but uh i also think that as the show progresses, it might not always be like this. We might get some more of those slightly quieter character moments. So um, well, I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, you do, you can learn a lot about people from way, the way they behave in extreme circumstances, mm-hmm. but on a TV show, I'm, I think you do need to balance it out a little bit um, with some of the stuff that I think you're looking for. Now, that being said, episode two, um, I think it had slightly less of the sort of chaos feeling than the first one did. It was only half as long. Well, not half as long. It was 30 minutes as opposed to like 45. But I felt like because we stuck with one of the groups of characters uh, for most of the episode, 
it to me felt like it was less jumping around, less chaotic and a little bit more character focused because we got to see them uh, for longer than just three or four minutes at a time as we were introduced to all the characters. So I have a feeling yeah. they might be going that way and we're going to get a little bit more of what you're looking for as the show goes on. Yeah, I mean, in the second episode we had a, there was a moment where they, the characters introduced themselves. Like, oh, my name is, I forget the name at the moment, but my name is whatever, uh, by the way. And in, then in uh, the car, it was William, car. son, and Barbara. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So having a, a woman named Barbara in a zombie movie, that's okay. I mean, she died, right? Yeah, of course. That's an homage. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, and, but having a, a character named son that only speaks Korean, it's a little losty, don't you think? Totally. And um, I I'm, I think it's an odd decision. Uh, I don't know if, and to me, it feels like the kind of thing they're just not going to be able to stick to. I feel like that character is probably going to learn English faster. Well, yeah, than they it. couldn't even do that in Lost. I mean, Lost was one of the first te television shows that had a main character that did not speak English and they had to have subtitles. That was amazing. And then it turns out that one of them did speak English and then eventually one the other one learned how to speak English because you can't fucking maintain that for season after season. Yeah, but Son... So yeah, son's got to die. Son's on, son on this show doesn't even get subtitled, which is the interesting part, right? Yeah, they can't keep they can't keep that up. There's I no feel, way. I feel like it's unlikely that they will. I was going to say that I think Sun is probably going to learn English faster than any human has ever learned English before, <laughs> or learned a foreign right. language before. Or you're right, Sun is going to be killed off. I don't know. People who've watched the information's out there, so some people are sitting listening to us right now, going, "Freaking idiots! You haven't watched it yet." I know exactly what happens, but here we are talking about the first two. We don't know. I am going to watch the rest of this season because I liked it enough and uh, and I want to find out what happens. I do want to find out what happens when or if they get to this stadium and what happens when Rose reconnects with her daughter who is at the stadium already. So, yeah, um, I'm definitely going to watch. Uh, let's see. The other thought I had while watching this is that or sort of question, I guess, is does this bring anything new or different to the zombie genre? And I kind of struggled coming up with anything that is unique about it, which is a good thing and a bad thing. But I mean, do, do you have any thoughts on that? Is there anything unique here or that you haven't seen a lot of already when it comes to zombie no. shows or movies? Not that I can think of. Yeah, I, I sort of was on the same page there. But I also started to realize that, you know what? It doesn't even really matter. It doesn't have to be different. It doesn't have to be, you know, flight of the dead with zombies on a plane because no one's ever done that before or, or whatever. And that's okay, I thought, because I still liked it. It was still good. It comes down to quality, not necessarily... I don't know innovation in the well, genre. You gotta, have, you gotta have some kind of spin, and the spin on the the spin that this has is that it's the outset of the zombie apocalypse. It's not happened already. A lot of zombie apocalypse movies and television stuff is is uh, you know waking up in the hospital weeks after it already started, and you know having to deal with the uh, the situation. It's almost a trope. Well, it is a trope. Well, kind of, uh, but I think there's lots out there that deal with the beginning of the zombie apocalypse too, especially yeah. in movies, right? Where you only have 90 minutes, two hours to tell the story. You show the, you show the origin story of the apocalypse and then you get to a point where 
they get in a helicopter and fly off to proceed, you know, supposed safety. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I didn't see anything that uh, grabbed me as a new spin necessarily, other than it being, uh, you know, the harrowing beginnings of a situation. Yeah. Um, people were trying to escape, which we've seen many times before the military helping out, which we have seen, but that's kind of something that when you're dropped into the middle of the zombie apocalypse or further into it, you don't always see that because the military's already failed at, at stopping this or, or protecting yeah. everyone. So they're long gone. Um, this is a pretty localized story so far, right? It's all in this sort of suburban area shot in Calgary, by the way. Yeah. I read that. Yeah. Um, I really liked the suburban setting of it all. I thought it was, I thought it was great seeing these rather, you know, clean streets. Uh, sure, there were some car crashes and a car on fire and stuff like that, but it wasn't out in the countryside. It was, there were houses, there were yards, there were, uh, you know, it was, it was slightly different setting. I liked that a lot. Um, and it was kind of a stark setting too, right? It was a little bit, uh, I don't know, just a little bit cold almost. And uh, right. So I, I thought that worked pretty well. Uh, but yeah, um, so I think it was good. And even though it wasn't really anything new, I realized that I think there is lots of room in the world of TV for this kind of show. And it really comes down to whether it's good and entertaining, not so much whether it's doing something new and unique. Yeah, I think it's the kind of show that is going to uh, please fans of the zombie apocalypse genre and not do anything else. Like they're not going to reach out. They're not going to grab new people and go, uh, you know, people that don't watch the walking dead or other zombie stuff. They're going to watch this and go, Oh, zombies are cool. And then get, it's not going to be a gateway into the zombie genre. It's, it's going to be, you know, pleasing the, the people that already like the zombie genre. That's about it. So it's not going to, it's not going to do anything fantastic. I wonder if those people who have left The Walking Dead are coming to this and watching it. I, I, I don't really know. I don't know how I would find that out, but it, it, I would be curious to hear whether people who left The Walking Dead have watched this and, and liked it or didn't. I'm not really sure, but I think you're I right. Remember, I think I remember way back when, when you know, The Walking Dead started, when we first started covering it, People would review the show saying, you know, for being a zombie show, there's not a lot of zombies in this. It's more about the people. And, you know, the answer is, yeah, of course it is. Mm -hmm. That, you know, the zombies are a backdrop to this human drama. Whereas this show is not that. It's, you know, a story about surviving the zombie apocalypse. Right. Right. And, And it is different in that way. But I don't feel like there's way more zombies in this. It's still no, but it's about that. You know, it's yeah. it's not necessarily just the uh, the setting for a human drama. It's more uh, a zombie apocalypse setting and a story. Yeah, you're right. If this show never goes the way of trying to show us what it takes to survive or what you have to do to protect the ones you love, I will not be disappointed by that. Yeah, but I, I think that, you know, even in the description you, you read is exactly that, right? It's, uh, you know, she's trying to 
reunite with her daughter and, you know, the decision she has to make in order to, uh, uh, you know, to survive. So I think it's going to get there. Well, it's, yeah, it says embarking on a harrowing journey, stopping at nothing to find her daughter. Uh, Hostile new world to make brutal decisions during the most deadly summer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I'm just trying to say, I'm not sure I really want that from the show. I mean, we've explored those themes a billion times and I realize this is a different show and these guys may explore the same themes in different ways. And you and I being so close to The Walking Dead and having thought about it and studied it basically for almost 10 years, I think probably are in a little bit of a unique situation when sort of addressing what we'd like to see from another show or from this show. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's going to be pretty hard to do a zombie show where you don't at least touch on those sorts of themes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if you could have a zombie apocalypse show written by Aaron Sorkin and it's just basically six people sitting in a room talking, you know, I'd be totally on board, but I don't think that'll ever happen or could ever happen. Probably wouldn't fly. Yeah. A couple of notes I made about, you know, what is this show trying to actually give us and one of the things, or really the main thing from what I've seen so far, is that it's just trying to show us, I think, how quickly society will fall apart when put in extreme crisis. Oh, yeah, we're hanging on a knife's edge. Like, we're all fucked if, you know, if, if this thing we got going right now falls apart in any way, shape, or form, we're all screwed right yeah. from the outset. Yeah, and I, I think about that a lot these days with political climate of the world, the ability for people to not communicate effectively with one another, which I think is more evident now than it has ever been with people's, you know, inability or outright rejection of certain things that have been pretty much universal truths for a long time, uh, you yeah. know, um, and I, I feel like we live in a real world where these problems are getting worse instead of better. And I think the show, this show in particular, is playing on that a little bit, saying like it only is going to take one or two you know, little nudges to push us over the edge and have society fall apart altogether. Right. Things in things in this show, like when um, when that guy and the girl are standing there in the road arguing about where to go on the map and then she gets hit by the car. Yeah. I mean, he goes over to her, looks down and basically immediately runs away. He doesn't even try to help her. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I realized uh, she was badly injured and what's he going to do? But in almost any other show, there would be more emotion to it. There would be, you know, oh my God, we've got to do something. And then she'd probably die before he runs away. And then he would run away. In this case, he yeah. goes over, like kneels down for a second and is like, sorry, you're fucked. I'm out of here. And that's it. I'm like, yeah. Jesus, that's cold, you know? So I think, I think you need to take comfort in the fact that uh, these shows that depict uh, society falling apart and us living on a knife edge are fictional. And that uh, human beings in general are a social animal and like to live in social structures. We like that. If we didn't like that, we wouldn't have that. So even if things go friggin' tits up for a little while, shit is going to hit the fan, absolutely. But as a society, we'll band together and go, man, that was fucking crazy. Let's just 
deal with this and get back to being, uh, you know, get our, get our shit together and, you know, grow some crops and stuff. Yeah, I know. Like, but the interim period there is going to be rather difficult and probably yeah. uh, result in a massive culling of the population of the planet. Well, yeah. I mean, society's changes constantly, sure. but in general, we all, you know, as individuals like to feel comfort and, uh, and, and socially sound. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try, we're going to end up leaning towards that kind of thing and not leaning towards, uh, every man for himself. Let's just fucking let chaos reign. Sure. We're not like that. Y- as you, species. Ha- you have to, I mean, you get to that. My point is you get to that, uh, state for a little while before you swing back the other way. And yeah. I feel like the world these days is going that way a little bit. We're not there yet, but we're yeah. going that way. And I think this show is trying to reflect that with the guy running away from his injured girlfriend. There's another one when, um, when Barbara's alone in the van at first, and that dude comes up to the, to the window and it's a pretty long conversation between the two of them. And he's trying yeah. to convince her to, uh, let him in the car and they'll band together and they'll travel together. And he's got a family he needs to save. And he comes across as a really, really genuine, nice guy. Uh-huh. She's uh, wary of him at first, but ultimately she lets him in the car. And the first thing he does is tells her to get out of the car and he's going to leave her stranded. Like he's a hundred percent lying to her. Yeah. Well, that's, that's uh, one of my favorite quotes is sincerity. Once you can fake that, you've got everything covered. Right. And, but that's what I'm like, that's what he does. Like he is the worst human being we saw on this show, I think because he could fake that and because of the way he treated her. And that's, it's just another example. It keeps going. Um, just as he's about to drive away, some other dude shows up who's, who's William, who we have ultimately follow in this van. And he beats the crap out of that guy, leaves him on the she side of the road. She just stands there looking at it. Yeah. She gets back in the car, which is, I thought it was strange, but he beats the crap out of him. And then through, you know, some circumstances, he ends up driving around with Barbara and son in the car, as we mentioned. And do you remember what the first thing he says to them is as they're driving away? No. He says, don't worry, I'm not going to rape you. Like, <laughs> like that's the first thing that they have to be afraid of. This is the world that these characters are living in. They encounter a stranger and he has to reassure them. Don't worry, I'm not going to rape you. Like, what? You don't say that to people when you uh, <laughs> when you meet them for the first time, just to reassure them, <laughs> dude. This is a this is a harsh world these characters are living in. And like, hey, I know it's the zombie apocalypse, but I'm telling you, society fell apart at the speed of light on this show. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever said those words to anybody. Don't worry, I'm not going to rape you. Like, I've I've never actually uh, uttered those words to people. And now I'm worried that they would think that. So maybe I should say that to people more often? No, I think... Probably shouldn't. Probably not. I think the point is you don't need to because it's assumed <laughs> it's and implied. It's imp- <laughs> okay. And All right. Here Good. we I'm are. I'm glad. I'm glad we live in a society where I don't have to explicitly state that yeah, on me a too. daily basis. Me too. Exactly. But not in this show. In this show, he has to explicitly state that. And, and right. I just think... Like, yeah, it's all fallen to pieces rather quickly here. For now, that seems to be what the show is getting at. And it's working for me. So I'm going to watch the rest of it and hopefully it gets even better. Uh, Are you going to watch the rest of it too? I have no interest in doing that. Really? Unless we're going to cover it for 
this podcast, I don't think I'll go back to it. Oh, that's unfortunate. I thought it was, I thought it was better, like, than I expected. I thought... There's so much content that I have to get caught up on. There's so much that, you know, needs to be watched. Uh, this kind of thing just kind of, I don't think it quite makes the bar. Okay. I recognize its quality, but it's not my, it's not my thing. All right. Well, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to tell you if I think you should watch it and then you can make up your mind based on that. Okay. That sounds fair. All right. That's Black Summer, everybody, at least the first two episodes. I'm looking forward to more of it. Uh, I hope you guys out there enjoyed it. If you have anything to say about it, by all means, send us an email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. I wouldn't mind hearing what uh, some of you thought of this because it sounds like, for the most part, a lot of people really enjoyed it. All right, uh, coming up next is our review of Avengers Endgame. That, of course, was some music from Avengers Endgame from the score. I think it's a fantastic score, so I just love listening to it. I've been listening to it at work while I work, while I commute. It's really, really great. So Avengers Endgame, Jason, we are going to spoil the crap out of this movie. Yeah, so stop listening. Like, this is a hard stop listening if you haven't seen the movie. Uh, it's hard it, because, you know, this is a very significant movie to spoil. Right. We're not screwing around here. We are going to spoil this. Yeah. And dare I say we might spoil a lot of other movies in the MCU as well. Most of yeah, them have it, been out for years at this point. So, and if you've seen most of them, you'll be fine. But if for some crazy reason you haven't seen Iron Man 1 or, you know, Captain America Civil War, you might and you're worried about spoilers, you might want to just pass on this one altogether. <laughs> yeah, we're going to spoil the MCU. Pretty much, I think so, yeah. So, spoiler warning for Avengers Endgame for the rest of the MCU, and, uh, you know, be warned. If you have seen those movies and you have seen Endgame, stick around, because we're going to talk about it. Jason, Avengers Endgame, it caps, it is the 22nd movie in the yeah. Marvel Cinematic Universe. Only 21 of which you've seen. You haven't, have you, did you watch Doctor Strange? I, I've still only seen the first 20 minutes of Doctor Strange. I'll be honest with you. I wish I'd watched it before I'd seen this film. Um, okay. But I'm going to go back and watch it very soon. As soon as I have some time. I have a flight to Las Vegas coming up in a couple of weeks. I might watch it on the plane. We'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, 21 movies came before this. The first one was not actually Iron Man 1, right? It no, was, it, was, it was Thor. Uh, sorry. Uh, Hulk. Hulk. Incredible with, Hulk. With um, uh, Edward Norton. Edward Norton, right. As Bruce Banner. Yeah, okay. I don't. I always thought of Iron Man 1 as the first one, but you're right. It's, it's Hulk. So if I'm going to watch them all again, 
which is well, they kind of did a re- you know it was a hiccup, so they kind of did a restart. It's like yeah, that was that was okay, mm-hmm. but you know really it's going to start with Iron Man because right. Nick Fury was in in uh, in the end credits of the Incredible Hulk. He was there, really. Uh, Samuel L. Yeah. Jackson, yeah. Oh, so that's why it's you know that's why you can't just discount it because it's it's he's there. Okay. There is an end credit scene that's, you know, gets the ball rolling. All right. Well, I might go back and watch that someday because I forgot all about it. Pretty much all I remember from that movie, and we'll get to Avengers in a second, but the only thing I remember from the Edward Norton Incredible Hulk was sort of the opening parts where he's in, uh, what country do you? He's in Venezuela or... Yeah, and he's hiding away, trying to manage his anger, and I remember a chase scene through that city. Pretty cool stuff. Anyways. And he's trying to learn the language too. And he says to somebody, uh, I'm getting hungry. You wouldn't oh, like me when I'm hungry. You wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good <laughs> Which stuff. is funny. <laughs> the only problem I have with, you know, Ed Norton has his own issues. And I kind of went through a whole, I like him, I hate him, I like him, I hate him kind of thing. And this is right on the cusp of I hate him. But uh, uh, the only issue I really had with this movie was Tim Roth. Uh-huh. I know we're talking about Endgame here, but we're starting way back at the, MC- the beginning of the MCU. It, I think Tim Roth was miscast in that role as uh, the Abomination. And if I had realized that the Abomination was an actual comic book villain and not just somebody they made up for this movie, uh, I hated that whole thing. But I liked it more the second time I saw it. Once I knew that it was, you know, part of the comic book uh pantheon of characters uh, but tim roth just absolutely was miscast interesting okay and well, ed, ed norton a little bit if it was mark ruffalo i would have been on board but sure. anyway so yeah let's just uh, go from right from the beginning and go zip right to the end here <laughs> i was thinking we'd go through one at a time so next is iron man one <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we'll get to avengers endgame then about four. this time about this time tomorrow <laughs> yeah avengers endgame yeah in my opinion, Jason, this movie is an incredible cinematic achievement. It was amazing. I, I mostly loved, liked it. I loved almost every second of it. And I, and the second that I didn't love, uh, I mostly just didn't understand. And it's not that I thought it was dumb or I didn't like it. But I think I figured it out. I'll get to that in a minute. If I don't, okay. if I don't remember to remind me later. But it caps off 20 other, 21 other movies in such a satisfying way for me yeah. that I don't think this is something we've ever seen before in movies, and I don't know if we'll ever see it again. It, it, I think you're absolutely right there. I mean, I don't think I liked it as much as you did. I did really like it, but I didn't, don't think it was a masterpiece of cinematic achievement. Uh, I did really like it, uh, it, but it absolutely is the... Uh, uh, the end piece of a, you know, a 22 movies, and it absolutely puts an end to the, uh, you know, a line of story that has been uh, in play for almost all of those 22 movies. It, it does. Now, technically, Marvel has said that Spider-Man Far From Home later this year is the end end of this phase of the MCU. But I'm sorry, they, there is no... Yeah. There is no way you can convince me that Avengers Endgame is, it wraps up most of it, right? 
Yeah. I, I, I'm going to watch Spider-Man Far From Home and be very excited to see it. And hopefully it's incredible. Uh, and I kind of expect it to be good because they have a proven track record at this point. But Avengers Endgame is the end. It wraps up so much stuff and it does it so well. That and it put a it put a bow on it like this whole yeah. uh, Infinity Stone thing like that that's it you know they're gone they're that yeah. we can't have any more stories well we could because they brought you know just for fun they brought in time travel they've used that before mm-hmm. but this time they you know they brought it in such a way that they could use it over and over again yeah but because I, the last one the last time travel was all Infinity Stone related. The time stone. Yeah. You know, now that that's gone, that would, that would have, you know, put a bow on it. But uh, now it's, you know, hey, we figured out a way to time travel. Now we can get the stones if we want to and use them for a little while and just bring them back and put them right back into, into their, you know, into the stream. Yeah. But they, I, I, I was going to say that if I was so satisfied with this, that if there was never another MCU movie, I wouldn't be that upset. I would be like, my God, they made. 22 movies, not all of them were amazing, but some of them were. None of them were absolutely terrible, in my opinion. Um, But look, look at what they did with this group of films. And if that was it and that was it and we we never had never got another MCU movie, I think I'd be satisfied. I'm not saying I'm not excited to see what they do next because there's still lots of potential. They set some things up in this movie for the future of the MCU. Yeah, that I don't know. We're going to talk about specifically the future of the MCU. Well, we, we can for sure. Um, but uh, I don't think I'm done gushing over this one yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. Yeah, that I noticed from this movie. And this is the one item that I wanted to talk about specifically. Is that uh, after coming out of this movie, I think I'm taller. Like I had to when I got out of the movie, I had to adjust all the mirrors on my car because. I couldn't see, I couldn't, they all need to be adjusted because uh, I feel like I'm taller. I'm not sure why or how, but uh, it was immediately after this movie, I got in the car and I sat down and I had to adjust all the mirrors. Clearly this movie has improved your stature, your posture. It not only was a great movie, but it made you a better a, person. A better, yeah, better man. Yeah, I think so. And you don't. I'm, I'm taller. And you don't call this a virtual <laughs> masterpiece. <laughs> I call it a weird coincidence, but I I don't know what happened. It's not even like, you know, Jenny drove the car and adjusted all the mirrors and I had to move them around to get them back to where they were. Because generally speaking, we're the same height. And when we drive the car, we don't need to adjust anything, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it was like I went to the movie theater. Everything was fine. I went to the movie. I came out, sat down in the car, started it. Like, I can't see out the back anymore. I had to adjust all the fucking mirrors. Weird. That is weird, but... It's like that time a couple of years ago, I got really sick for a long time. I had, remember I had a cold for a really bad cold for a little while. Yeah. And when I had the cold, I didn't need my glasses anymore during the cold. As soon as I got better, I needed my glasses again. It's like your eyes were covered in a sheen of, of sick liquid and you could see better. Yeah, snot. It. Yeah. it was eye snot that, you know, worked as a lens. Rose. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I really did like the movie. There was a couple of, a uh, couple of flaws. Uh, not flaws per se, but just, uh, I think that the, uh, the big battle scene where, uh, you know, everybody that was brought back by, uh, Bruce Banner, 
uh, yeah. you know, we're in spoiler territory now. So everybody was brought back that had gone to dust. Uh, Bruce Banner brought them back as the, you know, Bruce Hulk. What would the, what do you call him now? It's kind of an amalgam between the Hulk and Bruce Banner. Yeah. He's, he's found the balance between Bruce and the Hulk and he's always in a state of, uh, the Hulk, but with Bruce's brain and emotion working and stuff like that. Yeah. I like that. So, I thought that was great. It was a, it that, was good balance that that character is at least from what I've seen, never really had. Right. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. But when he brought them back, we didn't see them. And then they showed up for that big battle scene. I didn't feel like that was earned. I don't know why. But uh, it's like all those characters that just kind of showed up, uh, I would have liked to have uh, had some interaction with them beforehand. Like, I just felt like they just kind of arrived. And, you know, that's the point that they were gone for five years and then they just kind of showed up and now we can, now they can come and help again. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think from a storytelling point of view, I don't think that that was earned. They just kind of came out of nowhere and nobody really had a speaking part. They just kind of showed up and fought. Uh, well, whereas in the uh, the last Avengers movie, it was a huge cast, absolutely massive, but everybody had a specific part to play. In this yeah. one, the only part they played was, I'm ready to fight. It's true. I, I see what you're saying. But the thing is, we already know those characters, right? We don't we really, do. I don't know if we need to see their reaction to being brought back into existence because we saw their reaction leaving existence right in the in infinity war yeah but i get it i i get what you're saying uh i thought it was pretty clever though that they used dr strange to bring them all to the battlefield right he was opening opening those well it was a whole bunch of wizards right it wasn't just yeah, him yeah. well i know but the, that power right to sort of open yeah. up those portals and let them all come through and, and join the fight um but what you're saying kind of relates to some thoughts I had on the opening scene of the movie, which is with Hawkeye, uh, yep. who hasn't played a huge role in, in the movies in a little while because he decided that he wanted to go and kind of retire from superheroing and be with his family. Because when you think about it, he's one of the few characters that does, in fact, have a family. Yep. You know what I mean? And so the movie opens with him and his wife and his three kids basically setting up to have a picnic in this big open field. And then all of a sudden he's alone. And yeah. so we're seeing his Thanos snap moment and all of his family disappear disappears. And I realized that there's two things about this scene that I thought made it absolutely amazing. One is that we're seeing regular people disappear. In Infinity War, we saw all the superheroes go. We didn't really yeah. see any of the general population. You could kind of argue that we did see one or two in the post credit scene with Nick Fury and uh, Colby Smulders, whatever her name is. Yep. But we saw the superheroes disappear. We start this movie and we see, yeah, it's Hawkeye, but we see his whole family go. And it's a perspective of kind of the regular person because that's what it would be like, right? You wouldn't watch Spider-Man float into dust in Tony Stark's arms, you'd be like standing out somewhere and all of a sudden you'd turn around and people would be gone. And in a big open field, the dust just floats away into nothing. It's like they were never there. Yeah. So I found it really effective and, and really kind of a shocking realization of what it would have been like if 50% of the people around you were just suddenly gone. 
Yeah. And it's not just 50% of the people, it's 50% of life. Like they kind of uh, made that point too, that like all the animals and insects and birds and all that shit, half of them died too. Yeah. And and I think they did a really good job of reinforcing that when they did bring everyone back, because we have that moment of calm towards the end of the movie where uh, Hulk puts on the thing and snaps his fingers and they don't know if it worked until Ant-Man goes and looks outside and he can just hear the birds singing and like the insects chirping and stuff. Everything goes to hell immediately after that. But like, I thought that was another great scene moment in the movie that really hammered it home. This whole disappearance of everybody, while it was super emotional and rather shocking at the end of infinity war, this movie almost did a better job of relaying to the audience how upsetting it would have been. Right. Yeah. That's true. That's true. The only other issue I had with this movie was that uh, from all the trailers and from all the anticipation before this, I thought that Captain Marvel would have a bigger role to play in this movie. Oh. But she absolutely did not. Dude, I think their handling of Captain Marvel in this movie was spot on perfect. Because she's Superman, right? She is super powerful. There's no stopping her. Um, But she was in this movie just enough to help out and the explanation of why she wasn't around more often I thought was amazing. Yeah. Well, the other, only other question I have is uh, she got her powers from the power stone. Oh no, it's from the space stone. Uh, but now that the infinity stones are gone, she still has her powers. Yeah. The, right? the, the radiation or whatever got into her, right? Just because the stone's gone doesn't mean she loses her powers. Okay. I don't know. I mean, she's not like linked to it in any way. It's like it, it gave her her powers and they went their separate ways and, you know, she doesn't have to give the powers back. Yeah. Okay. Um, but in terms of Captain Marvel, like she shows up at the beginning to basically rescue Tony from suffocating in that ship in space. Uh, how, what, how'd she find them or how'd she know that where they were? Captain Marvel. Space is pretty space is pretty big, right? Yeah. I'm pretty I mean, sure it's like fucking huge. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's big, yeah. Uh you're right. I don't know. I don't know how she found them other than saying she's Captain Marvel. She can do shit like that. Uh but maybe they were sending a signal out. Maybe she can okay. pick up on the recordings he was making in the Iron Man mask or something like that. She did get her powers from the space stone. Is that what it's they, called? They were lost. Yeah, it was uh Are you sure? Uh, yeah, that's uh, the Tesseract. <laughs> okay. It was, it's it's the space stone. Okay. Look it up. I am Googling um, it while you talk. <laughs> because they were using it to uh, to try and figure out faster than light travel, right? So that's... Okay. You know, that's part of its, that's part of its you know, realm of powers. It's not like it's the time stone or the... Uh, I know the, the time stone, stone is green, right? Yeah, the time stone is green. The mind stone is what uh, Vision had um, in his temple. Yep. Anyway, I looked up all the stones once. Right, Okay. The uh, Power Stone is the one that, uh, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, that what, uh, what's the name? Peter Quinn Quill. found. Quill. Quill. Yeah. Quill found at the, at the beginning, at the beginning. Right. Space is blue. Reality is red. Power is purple. Mind is yellow. Time is green. And soul is orange. Right. So there you go. Uh, sorry, did I interrupt you? I, I don't even know what my point was. Uh, well, you know, how'd she find them? And I guess she found them because she got her powers from the space stone and she understands space. She can navigate space. Yeah. Um, but what I loved about her is 
you know, she gets the message message from Fury. And so she shows up and, you know, does what she needs to, but then has to take off again. And her explanation was, you know, because they want, they want her to stay around and help. But her explanation was, look, guys, this kind of shit is happening all over the universe and I can't be everywhere at once. I've been dealing with this for a long time and I have to go continue dealing with it. Earth is lucky because they have you guys. Most planets don't have a bunch of Avengers. And I thought that was just so perfect. And and a thought that never occurred to me, right, that she'd be yeah. out there doing this kind of stuff on behalf of other less capable societies or just less lucky societies because they don't have a team of superheroes defending their planet. Yeah, I just I was led to believe that she'd be playing a bigger role, you know, figuratively and literally in this movie. Uh huh. I, and uh, I was a little disappointed. Okay, I th- I think you're just a huge fan of Captain Marvel. Well, yeah, but you know, I was you know uh, after watching Captain Marvel and then after watching uh, you know the the fact that she was summoned for this and she was all powerful and she's going to come and you know help fight Thanos and you know put this thing to bed. I mean, sure she did that mm-hmm. because they're like solved the problem in the first you know 20 minutes of the movie they killed Thanos and I'm like okay now what what a great feeling though <laughs> when you watch you 10 minutes of a movie that you think is going to be all about bringing people back yes but also redefeating Thanos and then they kill him 10 minutes in you don't know where the movie's going at that point you're like oh my god this is what's going to happen I have no idea and I'm super yeah. excited to find out like we that's just a, got here. They can't end the movie now. That, this is supposed to be three hours, not three minutes. Like it's a feeling I, I don't often get watching movies. Like maybe because I watch too many trailers or whatever, but this yeah. was one of those, like, I don't know what I'm about to watch because this is crazy. And I thought it was great. So how did you feel about, uh, time travel in movies? I, I in movies movie. or in, in this movie yeah I think they handled the time travel pretty well in this movie um I kind of you know I've watched a number of time travel movies some have mm-hmm. been pretty good some have been not as good you know they did a good job here making the time travel not too serious right um I used to say that the only way to do effective time travel in a movie is if it's a comedy and you don't have to worry about the science or the repercussions of time travel too much. And I used to say that that's why Back to the Future works so well, because it's a kind of a comedy and you don't, you don't think about the time travel. It just is. And, uh, and, 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 and it plays into a really good story. And I think that's what they did here, too. They took the piss out of themselves a little bit by referencing a whole bunch of other time travel movies. And you didn't have to worry about it too much. And the other thing yeah, they, they did... Yeah, they also talked about determinism and, you know, causality. Saying, Just, uh, right. Saying you know, that if you go back in time, that's not the past. That's your future. <laughs> yeah, but that's, you know, it's all meant... It's, that's the paradox. That's the perspective... Uh, you know, it's your future. Sure, it's your future, but it's my past. Like, how do you resolve that? Right? If you yeah. go back in the time and stab me in the leg back when I'm 17, does my leg hurt now? Because that's my past. Sure, it's your future, you know, and or your present even. You're back there doing that, but that's all a matter of perspective. You know, what about from my perspective? Solve that. Right. Apparently, they just skip over that. Like, no. 
you know, you stab. So does that uh, does that fork the universe off into uh, you know multiple time streams? That's the other way to resolve that. Is that sure? My reality doesn't change because you went back and changed that. But there's another reality out there somewhere where I have a stab wound in my leg. I think that's what they they said though when Bruce goes and talks to what's her name from Doctor Strange, right? The ancient one, I think they call her. Yeah, um, she does that, right? She explains that yeah, it branches off. Right. She has that visual aid of the magic stardust in the air in front of her and she shows it branching off. So that was what that's what they were getting at. Right. Yeah. Okay. that uh, I don't think that that's what they were getting at. And that's not what, you know, Bruce Banner slash the Hulk said. But uh, yeah. okay, that sort of explains it. Right. But but see, to me, that was one of the scenes in the movie that I didn't quite get because I haven't seen Doctor Strange. So no, that that doesn't. Seeing Doctor Strange won't help you with that, other than knowing who that character is. Oh, okay. But that doesn't help at all? Like, I don't really know who that character is. That That's the only thing that watching Doctor Strange will help you with. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Is <laughs> understanding who she is. Okay. I figured it would make more sense. What I did like about that, though, is that, you know, she wasn't going to give uh, Bruce the stone she had until she realized that this is all happening because... Dr. Strange let it happen. I thought that was yeah. really effective too. Like what a great way to convince her that, that actually something is going on and that they may have a chance to save everybody because Dr. Strange saw all the possible outcomes and then he let this one happen. So there must be yeah. something to this. I thought that was brilliant actually. It, it was good. And it was uh, an insight into her character and how she sees uh, Stephen Strange. Because, you know, when she said, well, I'm looking for Dr. Strange, it's like, well, you're a little early. He's, you know, he's a surgeon. He's a doctor. Right. Uh, and his name is actual Strange. It's Dr. Strange. Yeah, yeah. That's his actual real life name. I know. Not his, uh, but uh, he's off doing surgery someplace. He, You know, he hasn't come around to doing this kind of thing yet. Right, exactly. But he's the one that let it happen. So. Yeah. And she said he he's up. supposed to be the best of us. Right. And he is. Like he's. uh you know, he has a talent for this kind of thing that goes beyond what the other wizards can do. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, once you're absolutely right. Once you realize that, uh, you know, it's Dr. Strange that is, uh, you know, started this ball rolling. She's like, yeah, okay, here's the stone. Take it. Take it. He's got a plan. <laughs> so go ahead. This is part of it. Yeah. But as far as the time travel goes, like I thought it was pretty well done. I didn't. It didn't bother me at all. I didn't feel like I was sitting there going, oh, but that doesn't make sense. That wouldn't happen that way or whatever. Um, it worked for me. Plus- Well, they, they set it up, They're, right? They set the rules, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. I mean, it, it did doing a better job than Ant-Man ever did with setting the rules and then sticking to them. But they set the rules and then Nebula killed herself, her past self, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And she's fine. Because well, they yeah. set the rules and they're living by them. Internal consistency. That's all I ask for. <laughs> well, they did a good job here. So I'm, I'm happy for you. If we're going to continue talking about the different time frames, I was super entertained seeing having these characters go back into some of the other movies. Right. Yep. We go back into the first Avengers. Um, we go back into one of the Thor movies. It. It created all kinds of really, really entertaining um, just set pieces or bits, right? Like seeing that whole elevator scene 
and expanding on it from which Captain America is that? Was that from that was uh, Civil War? Winter Soldier or Winter Soldier? Winter, Winter Soldier. Yeah, seeing that done the same but differently, and just such a little thing by putting the future Captain America into the elevator instead of the current Captain America, and then knowing that now he has the knowledge that you know those guys are all Hydra. And so he just whispers hail Hydra to them and then walks out with the briefcase. I loved yeah. it. I thought it was so great. It wasn't the same elevator scene. It was a different elevator with different people in it that, cause that uh, the one guy in the suit was not in the elevator cause they were not, he was not part of the fight to capture Captain America during, uh, during that movie. Are you this sure? Was a different, I, I am absolutely sure. This is a different same it's scene. supposed to mirror that. It's supposed to be like, hey, he was in this situation before where he was ambushed, but now he's in a situation where he's doing the ambushing. Different elevator, some of the same people, some different people, different situation. I'm he gets not, out of it a different way. I'm not going to say you're wrong, but I'm not convinced you're right. I think I walked that out That suit going, guy was not in that first elevator. I mean, you have watched it more recently than I have, so- yeah. I will defer to your more recent knowledge. All right. But I walked out of there going, it's the same scene, but it was the new Captain America. When he fought himself, did that come before or after the elevator scene in, in Endgame? Because I feel like... After. Really? Okay. So that, so. that makes sense then. Because, because he had the briefcase, right? Uh, the Tesseract in it? No. Did he? I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know now. My... In my mind, it happens like this. He encounters himself, fights himself, incapacitates himself, and then takes his place in the elevator. <laughs> yeah. Right? That, yeah. I'm sure that it wasn't the same thing because that elevator ride didn't have anything to do with the Tesseract. This would, this happened uh, during okay. uh, yeah. the first Avengers movie where they were just after the battle in New York once they captured Loki and they have the they have the tesseract and the the scepter. He right. was getting the scepter. That's what he was doing. He wasn't the tesseract. He was getting oh, the, it was the briefcase scepter. with the scepter. So that uh, this, the elevator scene happened well after that. Okay. All right. Well, you, you're I'm coming around. All right. In any case, I thought it was really fun to go back into those old movies. Um, great moment when he's fighting himself and, you know, past Captain America goes, I could do this all day. And, and the other <laughs> one says, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, it just, it's such an easy way to show the development of that character, right? And the changes that he's undergone in the subsequent years, you know, he's yeah. no longer sort of, I mean, I can't say he's no longer super optimistic Captain America, but in a way he kind of is. He's like, I used to be that guy. I'm this guy now, you know, I'm different now, yeah. um, but I'm just as worthy as we find out later on in the movie. Yeah. Um, but well, that, that's uh, one of my open questions. Yeah. I actually have two open questions about this movie is that he took Molnir into the past with him and stayed there. What the fuck did he do with the hammer? Ah, uh, who knows? I don't know. He, Where oh, is it? That's right. He took it at the end, right? He took it at the end. Yeah. He took his shield and the and the hammer and went back in time to, re, to put all the time stones back to where they were supposed to be and then showed up as an old man sitting on a park bench with the shield, handing it off to the new Captain America, but no hammer. 
Yeah. Where's that hammer? I don't know. I didn't even think of that. You think movie. Thor would be like, dude, that hammer's important. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like Thor can just summon it whenever he wants, though, so... Through time? I don't know. I guess, well, it, it probably still exists in the current time frame. Right. This version of the time. So he could probably just summon it. Yeah, you're you're right. He could just show up. Uh, but when Captain America picks up the hammer on the battlefield and starts spinning it, and Thor just looks at him and goes, I knew it! <laughs> I mean... Yeah. I, I, it was, it was such a great scene. And what I love about it is Thor wasn't upset or jealous or anything. He was genuinely delighted that someone else is worthy to pick up the hammer. And I thought that was fantastic in a lesser movie. Thor would have been like, Hey, that's my hammer. Don't touch it, man. But yeah, not in this, in this, this is a team and they're working together and he can pick yeah. up that hammer and Thor is excited about it well he was a little worried the first time captain america tried to pick up the hammer yeah because it moved i know Just a little bit it moved a little bit and it worried him it's like whoa well worried but then after that the, the vision picked it up and, and and said uh you know that's where i was on i was worried about the vision in the uh the movie showed up which was the one with ultron age of ultron yep um so you know the vision shows up and was like is he a good guy is he a bad guy and then he picks up the the hammer and hands it to thor it's like okay he's a good guy he must be a good guy yeah hammer doesn't lie did you notice the one thing about the hammer that happened in this that uh answered uh a, a question that you know comic book fans have had for years what is that like um Oh, I'm trying to think of who did it. Who was, I think, you know, Captain America was holding the hammer and um, Thanos picked up Captain America and threw him when he had the hammer. So, you know, through transference, you know, uh, uh, Thanos was not worthy enough to pick up the hammer, but he could pick up Captain America who was worthy and had the hammer and was able to throw it. Throw, throw Cap- him and throw Captain America with the hammer. Okay. That's it. That's all, you know, it's just, uh, even though Thanos is not worthy, are could somebody pick up Thor when he's holding the hammer, even though they're not war- worthy? The I don't know. Is, I feel like, why not? That's, you're not touching the hammer, so. Yeah. You know, you put the, you put the hammer down in an elevator, the elevator goes up. Is the elevator worthy? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a question for the ages. I guess we'll never know. Well, they also that also came up in one of the earlier movies. That that exact question. They were just kind of fucking around. Yeah, uh, it's intent. If you intend to use the hammer, are you worthy to use it? Right. That that's it. It's all a matter of intent. Well, I thought Captain America picking up picking it up was an amazing payoff to the scene yeah. where he almost did in the other movie. So, and. It just, it's such an exciting moment to see it happen, right? Like you want to stand up and cheer in the movie theater. And like, I saw this in a pretty packed theater at the end of this movie, during this battle, people were clapping and cheering (laughs) and like, it was a really fun experience. It was the kind of reaction in a theater that you don't mind so much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I saw it in a packed theater, but I went to an 11 p.m. showing. And by the time this battle started, it was like 1.30 in the morning. Half the people so, were asleep, probably. <laughs> so, well, not asleep, but uh, I think they're a little more subdued than the audience that you saw it with. Yeah. Our, we saw right in prime time. So it was it was yeah. it was wicked. Um, I got lots more about this movie. Uh, all the stuff where Tony goes back to 1970 and meets his father, yeah. I thought was 
pitch perfect. Like, yeah, it seems a little bit weird that these two guys would be so chummy chummy in this like military base he's in. But at the same time, I think there's this, you know, undefined, indefinable, undefinable, I don't Indefatigable. know, in, in, indefinable bond between these two characters, whether they know it or not. And that's why they end up having this long sort of important conversation, um, you know, and I, and I, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was great. I thought both actors in this scene did a really good job and um, it played into sort of one of the bigger themes of the movies, I think, which weirdly was about like parenting almost. It feels like, you know, we get, we get Tony interacting with his father, which is something he's been looking for for a long time. Right. And he yeah, finally gets closure. it here. A little closure on that. We get the opening scene I already talked about with Hawkeye and his family disappearing, his children. And that's like the one thing he wanted to spend his life doing is being with them. Uh, we get Thor who goes back to Asgard and meets his mother again. Yep. Um, you know, which she in the MCU was dead at this time. So, you know, Captain America's kind of like America's dad. So, you know, he, and, and we, we get that in the movie. I mean, there was a lot of that stuff in this film, but I think it was most evident when Tony Stark goes back and meets his uh, father. What's that? What's that actor's name again? From Mad Men? Uh, uh, the guy from Mad Men. Yeah. Uh, Sterling from Mad Men. That's it. Yeah. That's all I know. Shoot. I can find out. I can't um, remember his name, but he's, he's great. And I almost wish he was a bigger part in these films, but. You well, know, you know. That'd be hard to do. It'd be hard to do. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we could get prequels. There's no reason why they can't have 4,700 prequels going back to the 70s and have that guy star in them. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. I think. I'd watch it, you know? Yeah. The question I had was, uh, he called his driver uh, Jarvis. Was that Paul Bettany? Uh, did we see the guy? No, we, we did see we, the guy. It was the not driver, Paul Bettany. The yeah, driver, yeah. He was his driver. It, it wasn't Paul Bettany, but I don't know. I don't I think so, I no. didn't look it up. I don't think it was, no. Um, what about Thor? They went full bore comedy on Thor, uh, which well, is fine. Yes. Which is fine. I mean, they proved that they could do that in Thor Ragnarok. Yep. Right? Where they, you know, take a lighter side to that. So they just, they use Thor as comic relief, essentially. Right. Which they, which, as you just said, they've been doing in the other movies, too. Uh, I heard somewhere that Chris Hemsworth, you know, he's good at the comedy. I'll be honest with you. He knows what he's doing yeah. in comedic roles. Um, and I heard somewhere that he read the script for Thor Ragnarok and was like, you know what, guys? This is funnier and sillier than I expected. But if we're going to do this, I want to go full on comedy with Thor. He can be the comic relief of the Avengers. Yeah. And they did in Ragnarok and they went to the limit of that in Endgame. <laughs> but I'm happy to say I don't think they fell over the line. I think it was just perfect. They did just they got to that point where it was funny and silly, but it didn't go too far. Right. And even in the comic relief had comic relief because uh, the rock guy from Thor Ragnarok, the director, what's his name? Taika Waititi. Yeah, Taika Waititi. He was in it too. And I mean, he's the comic relief, comic relief, right? You're right, like, he is. That rock guy is <laughs> fucking awesome. I'd watch a whole movie with that guy for sure. Oh God, yeah. You're right. He is the comic relief for the comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, having fat Thor... Come on, like that is yeah. 
so out of left field. It is so anti Thor, right? Like he's, I mean, he's fifteen hundred years old, and now he gets fat. <laughs> well, hey, he's been doing pretty well, but. Have we ever seen fat Thor before? Certainly not in the movies. I don't know if Thor ever <laughs> let himself go in the comics or any other medium, but uh, just out of nowhere, my whole, when, w- before you see the full shot of fat Thor, you get a shot from behind where you can see his like spare tire a little bit. Everybody in my audience gasped and went, oh my God. And then you see full <laughs> pot belly Thor, like big laughs and People loved it. And yeah. so, you know, I can't hold it against them. It's I feel like it's almost a risky thing to do with Thor because he's known for being big muscle bound dude. And here he yeah. is, pudgy Thor. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I thought it was really, really that. good. Uh, uh, the other callback I liked was uh, in. Uh, what was the name of the movie? It was the one with Spider-Man, Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. That was the Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Yeah, Spider-Man. So in that, when Tony Stark was giving him the uh, the spider suit and Tony reached over to open the door and uh, uh, and he gave and Spider-Man gave him a hug and he said, no, we're not there yet. Yep, yep. In this movie, they're there. They are there, as yeah. Soon as, when he comes back, uh, he gives him a big hug. Sp- uh, you know, Tony Stark wants to give Peter Parker a great big hug because he missed him. Now they're in that part of their relationship. So I think that was a really nice callback. We're not there yet. Now they're there. They sort of got there at the end of Infinity War, right? Like Spider-Man disappears in Tony's arms. Yes. But but you're right. I mean, they are definitely there. And those guys, I mean, I thought Tony Stark's affection for Peter Parker was, um, uh, I don't know, just like surprising is not the word because Tony doesn't usually come off as that kind of guy, but it was, it was surprisingly emotional actually. Yeah. No, right? Well done. He sees him as a son, obviously. And, uh, again, another sort of parental figure or parental theme in this movie is the relationship between Tony Stark and Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a question about that. At the very end of the film, when we see Peter back at school, um, and he sees Ned, uh, his buddy, Ned, the guy in the chair from Spider-Man Homecoming, Mm -hmm. are we to believe there that Ned disappeared? So he hasn't seen him in, or they haven't. Being with no, each other or, in five years? Or Peter Parker disappeared and hadn't seen him in five years. That's well, what I believed, is that uh, Ned was there, but Peter wasn't. Okay, yeah, and I guess everyone's back now, so that was their little reunion. Yeah. Yeah, which was nice. Well, I assumed so, because, uh, you know, if if Ned wasn't would, had also not been there and Peter had not been there, they wouldn't have missed each other. Nobody would have missed the other one because they didn't exist for those five years. That's right. Whereas now one of them has that it seemed like one of them existed, but then again, why the hell would Ned still be in high school? Yeah, because it is five years on. So I'm, I don't know what's going on. So maybe they're both gone. They they both, they had to have been both gone because he didn't, you know, Ned didn't age five years and he's still in high school. So yeah. I assume they're both gone. So that kind of counteracts, counter, uh, goes against what I was just saying. So yeah, I think they were both disappeared for five years. Because they didn't age, neither of them. Yeah. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Um, two major character deaths in this movie, one of which is Tony Stark and the other one is Black Widow. Right. Uh, Black Widow goes down as a replacement for uh, Gamora 
from Infinity War because Black Widow. Not a replacement. And, uh, in addition to, the, every time you get the stone from there, you have to have a sacrifice. Right, but because of the time travel stuff in this movie, we end up with Gamora back in the present, right? So we have her again. That's the that's that's the previous Gamora. That's I know. before it happened, though. I know it's so the other the, Gamora. <laughs> so they brought the stone back, like after Black Widow died. Right, she mm-hmm. was sacrificed. They brought the stone back, gave it to uh, you know this Red Skull, and he was back in place for when later on uh, Thanos comes with Gamora, and then she dies. So they both happened. Right, right, they both happened. I'm not saying that Gamora didn't die, but in moving forward, we have yeah. a Gamora in the story. We no yes. longer have a Black Widow. Her future came to an end. Or <laughs> her present came to an end yes. and she has yep. no future they could not undo those deaths that's right they couldn't undo those um what did you think about sort of the back and forth scene with her and hawkeye as to who was going to jump off the cliff because that's a little a little tropey it's like i'll do it no i'll do it you have more to live for no you have more to live for you know back and forth back and forth uh yeah. until somebody goes off Outside of their control or accidentally. Yeah, I knew that it was going to be Black Widow. How'd you know that? Like, well, because uh, the whole point of uh, Hawkeye was to get his family back, and they couldn't just let that hang. You're right. You're right. I mean, that's his whole goal, exactly. So if yeah. he goes and... He, it, what but, I didn't understand about Hawkeye is why he went full-on ninja after his family disappeared. Like, was he... It seemed like a revenge thing, but who's he revenging against? I think he maybe is just trying, he's, he's gone Batman. Like he's just trying to take out the bad guys from the world maybe, but you're right. That wasn't in my opinion, adequately explained either. It was kind of glossed over. He's just doing this weird thing in Tokyo and she has to go get him to, uh, convince him to come, you know, back and join the team. And even, uh, it was mentioned before too, right? Like, uh, when Black Widow was, uh, you know, running the Avengers, uh, and doing all the, you know, the housekeeping stuff, they mentioned him that, uh, he was off doing something. Mm-hmm. And so like, he's been doing this for a while and that she knows about it, but you know, they, yeah, they didn't quite explain why he went full on ninja killing people. I think you know, he just, and such. he had nothing going, nothing to live for. So he's like, I'm going to go kill bad guys. And that's that, but you're right. But why, why go ninja? Why not, you know, stick to what you know? Like he's really good at, good at the bow and arrow. And he's really good at golf too, because when he retired the first time, he, you know, he went and shot nine holes and got a score of nine. Yeah. I just couldn't so, miss. <laughs> so why would he go sword ninja instead of just, uh. Bow and arrow ninja. Bow I don't and know. arrow, you know, Robin Hood. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I, f- I have a feeling they wanted to set that scene in Tokyo because Tokyo with all the neon lights and the rain looks really cool. <laughs> it does. And it's, uh, for a computer generation, that's really, uh, easily done. Easily done, sure. Shiny things uh, is, are easily done in, or not easily, but shiny things look better in uh, computer uh, graphics than not shiny things. Easy to make things shine, that's right. That's why they like it when uh, you put uh, animated characters in the rain, like one of those really bad uh, Godzilla movies. If it's raining all the time and the Godzilla looks shiny, it's easier to render than if he's not shiny. Okay, fair enough. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why the Halo movies, or not Halo movies, the Halo video game, the original Halo video game was all shiny. Everything was shiny. Did you notice that? Well, because it looks better in computer-generated graphics. Thinking back on it, I kind of 
kind of do. I, I, or I remember it that way, actually. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I think there isn't too much more to go over here. Um, what else have I got? What about iron pepper pots? What did you think about iron pepper pots? <sighs> you know, I, I don't know. That is... I did think that was a little strange um, because it, it never occurred to me that she would put on an Iron Man suit and fly around and be able to be effective in it. But she well, in Iron Man was. 3, she, would, she got special powers and then uh, he did put a suit on her to save her one time. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that movie very well, I'll be honest with you. Um but if it's in there, then there's an, then, you know, a precedent was established. So why wouldn't he make her an iron suit to protect her? You know, so she just happened to use it this time, but right. you know, she might show up and be iron woman. I don't see why not. I don't see why not. I'd be on board. Um, I did enjoy her in this movie. Um, she hasn't been in a lot of them, right? She's always been referred to a lot and then she might have one scene kind of thing and that's it. But she was a bigger part of this because in the five years between killing Thanos and inventing time travel, you know, Tony has a, has a kid. He's moved yep. away with Pepper to like a cabin in the woods kind of thing. And they seem to be living a very peaceful sort of satisfying life as much as they can in the current environment. Um, and, you know, Tony is obviously reluctant to even do what he's going to do with the time travel thing, but then she's the one who convinces them that, you know, he should, and he has to, which I, you know, it, had, I it, it all, um, why would you fuck up something like that? Like, you know, if, uh, you know, given a choice, you know, me and Jenny and Jasper, if I had the choice to save a hundred billion people or, you know, half of all the life on earth, but I had to sacrifice my son existing. I don't even, I don't even think it would be a tough call. I'd be like, fuck you. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean, sure. That's shitty and everything, but damn it. That's not my problem. Right. Well, that's a pretty big question, but it, it is a big question, but you know, do, do you sacrifice one person's life uh, for, uh, you know, 50 billion people or half of all the life in the universe? Mm -hmm. I mean, mo morally, you're, the right answer is no. You don't sacrifice anybody for anything. You sacrifice yourself if you can. If you can't, then it's not your fucking choice to make. Right. And, uh, but from a numbers game, you know, the needs of the... Uh, of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one as Spock would say. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a tough call, but I, I would be right on, uh, I'd be right there with Tony Stark. You know, that's shitty, but that shitty thing already happened. And I'm not about to do that shitty thing to my daughter. But ultimately he is able to sacrifice himself and everybody himself. else gets to stay around. Yes. That is a correct moral choice. You mm -hmm. know, if, if sacrificing yourself would, uh, would save the lives of a bunch of people, that's the right thing to do. And I would do that. I've made that choice in the past that if I have, if that ever comes up, I would make that choice. Well, yeah. And I'd be okay with it, but I wouldn't sacrifice somebody else no, to do that. Because you can't make that choice for them. Right. Well, Tony Stark is dead. Iron Man is dead. There is no more Iron Man. Maybe yeah. there'll be an I Iron Man. I knew woman. that Robert Downey Jr.'s contract ended with this movie. Sure. 
I, think, I knew that. So I kind of suspected that something permanent would happen. Absolutely. I think many of their contracts are, are done, uh, or at the very least, Chris Hemsworth, not Chris Hemsworth, um, uh, Captain America's, whatever the hell his real name Chris is. Chris Evans. Chris Evans, There's right. There's so many Chris's in this. Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, Chris Helmsworth. I know. It's difficult to keep them all straight. Uh, there's going to be more Guardians of the Galaxy, and it seems like yep. Thor is going to be in the next Guardians because he flies away yeah. with them at the end, which is As fine. Guardians of the Galaxy, they should call it, like they said. I think that'd be a great title of the movie. As Guardians of the Galaxy. Perfect. And um, Black Widow being dead, I don't know what this means for the Black Widow movie that is in development. Well, uh, it's been a, it's a prequel. I think we, I kind of already knew that. I don't know. It could be a prequel. You're right. I mean, I well, guess. Well, because they, they've been then talking about, her and Hawkeye have been talking about Budapest for four movies or something like that. Remember yeah. Budapest? It wasn't as bad as it was in Budapest. Right. So I I kind of assumed that they were leading up to the Black Widow movie, which was going to be a prequel, and that uh, big part of it will take place in Budapest. You're probably right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I've I've thought for a long time that, a Black Widow movie is, would be great. And it's overdue, to be honest, right? Everyone else has had their own films and she gets nothing. So uh, I want another uh, Incredible Hulk movie. I mean, I, I, you know, it's nice to have uh, Paul Ruffalo as Mark, you know, Bruce Banner. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I just, I really need to palate cleanse the Edward Norton out of uh, out of there and it's nice to have him in these movies but i want him to have his own movie i would take a hulk movie with um ruffalo over any more ant-man movies i don't dislike ant-man i think they they used ant-man pretty well in this film but i don't think either of the ant-mans while i like them i think they're sort of third tier mcu movies so do a hulk okay. do a really good hulk but you know take a break on the ant-man maybe yeah, and explain pin particles, you know, and then stick to it. I'm not even no, sure. None of this fucking bullshit. <laughs> don't, I don't know if they should try to explain pin particles. <laughs> well, they shouldn't have tried to explain them in the first place. Right. That's the problem I have is that they set the rules. Right. You're, 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 uh, you know, the mass doesn't change, just the size. If you're really small, you're really dense. If you're really big, you're less dense. So when they take an ant and they blow it up the size of a dog, it should just float away like a fucking balloon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, when you, and when you shrink Ant-Man down to the size of an ant, he should weigh as much as a human, and he can't run along the barrel of a gun while somebody's pointing it. Yeah. Or you I... can't carry a tank on your fucking keychain. Uh, no. You just, you can't do it. But all this shit happens and it drives me friggin' bananas. Yeah. And it got even stupider in Ant-Man 2 because of the whole building thing. So, but we. Yeah. Like, well, how do you, how do you explain plumbing? Like. No. The building that big has got to have a toilet, right? (laughs) You can't. You can't explain it. It's dumb. (laughs) That's what I mean. Move on from Ant-Man. Keep the character. Just. He doesn't need his own movies anymore. Just have him show up in the other movies. Maybe give us a good Hulk movie. Give us a good Black Widow movie. And. That would satisfy yeah. me. Yeah. All right. What else are we getting in the MCU? Well, I don't know what else is, is coming, but I, I mean, I think we've pretty much exhausted this other than just talking about the very ending here where, and, and we mentioned it already, or you did that, you know, Cap goes back to put the stones back and then he decides to stay back in time, find Peggy Basically, yep. the woman he has always his entire everything he's done 
has been about her a little bit and uh he he decides to live a life with her and ends up being an old man and he passes the torch or in this case the shield on to falcon who will become the new captain america yeah moving forward i assume we're going to get captain america movies with him in the title role and that'll be great i think that'd be fine they did that in the comics a lot, right? They'd pass titles along. Yeah. Like there's a whole bunch of different Captain Marvels. Like and I think actually, one. I think actually Sam, the guy who's Falcon in the comic becomes Captain America at some point. Like I don't really know the comics very well, but I've heard that. Awesome. So, so they're, they're following the storyline there. And just the final shot of the movie back in the past with, with, um, uh, Steve Rogers dancing with Peggy through the window of a house and that's it. I thought it was a beautiful ending and a perfect ending for Captain America's story. And in a way kind of tells me that this whole thing has been Captain America's story sort of since the day he was introduced. So I don't know about that, but you know, you're right. Not entirely. I mean, Iron Man's pretty important too, and they're all important, but they, they wrapped up this movie and this you know, series with the finishing touches on Captain America's story. And so, and it worked for me. I thought it worked really well. All right. So can I tell you the one thing that I didn't understand? Yeah. Please. If we can get to that before we finish off here. And that is, and I think I, I think I do understand it now that I've thought about it, but in the battle with Thanos, you know, Thanos is still in a way dominating this battle. You know, even when Captain Marvel shows up, he isn't immediately taken down by her. Yep. And the way they take him down, he even gets the gauntlet, the, the new gauntlet that has all the stones in it that the Hulk wore, and he's got it on his hand. And what happens is Iron Man smashes into him, uh, is thrown back. Thanos doesn't even realize anything has happened, snaps his fingers, nothing happens because he no longer has the stones and or gauntlet on his hand. It is now on Tony Stark's hand and Tony is able to snap his fingers and his wish comes through. And that is that all of the bad guys, Thanos and all his minions disappear into dust. Right. So at first I didn't understand how did the stones move from one hand to the other in such a t- short time frame without Thanos noticing? And I think the answer is nanotechnology. Well, the answer is uh, Tony Stark is in control of that technology, right? Because right. he made the he made both gauntlets: the one he that's on his hand and the one that uh, that uh, the Hulk used. Right. And one that Thanos had. So he's he's absolutely in control of that. So nanotechnology, yes, but uh technology that's under the control of Tony Tony Stark. Right. So I, that wasn't immediately clear to me, but you know, later I realized that right, Tony created the gauntlet that Thanos was wearing. And if we know anything, you know, nanotechnology is Tony's forte. It's like he can do anything with it, right? A suit can appear out of nowhere around his body, basically, because of nanotechnology. So yep. I guess he just needed to get close enough to Thanos. Their arms came together and the nanotechnology went from one hand to the other and Tony saved the day. Yeah, it's a magic trick. Right. Okay, so it's magic. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I can live with that. Sleight of hand. <laughs> I Sleight of hand. I can totally live with that, even though I don't think it was immediately clear to me, but maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't put a lot of thought around this, but I knew that, you know, he grabbed it and it was 
sleight of hand. It wasn't, it was, it was fast. Yes. I agree with that. It's not like a, excuse me here. I'm just going to take this stone and then this stone. <laughs> yeah. and damn it. I don't have enough hands. Hold on a second. Yeah. And then put them in your pocket and it's like, oh, well, I forgot the yellow one. Can I just, can I just get, get the yellow one there? And, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like it bugged me at first, but I can get on board with it being Tony Stark's nanotech. And there you go. Yeah. The only problem I had with the stones and they kind of, got away from the problem at one point, but these stones are pretty friggin' powerful each individually, right? And when you get them all together, holy shit, you can do whatever the hell you want in the known universe. Right. So, uh, the problem I had was that, uh, one, you know, people had control of these stones at various points and they didn't do anything with them. Like individually, they're really friggin' powerful and there's all kinds of stuff you could do. Like all, all they really had to do time travel wise was go get the time stone. Once, once, uh, once the Hulk had that, they have the time stone now. You don't <laughs> need this time travel bullshit. You got the time stone. Go get the other ones. You know, start fucking around with time and do whatever you want. Once you get the space stone, you can jump from one plot, one spot to another at will. The only time that the stones were used individually, like it's, it's like they focused on the stones only can bring the people back or destroy the people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the two things that they use these stones for, uh, and only collectively. Uh, the only time a stone was used individually was by Thanos when he punched Captain Marvel. He took the power stone off of uh, the gauntlet and punched her. And that's why he was able to to get rid of her because mm. he used the one individual stone that was useful in that situation to deal with something that was going on. Right. So he just quickly grabbed it and punched her. And then that, that was the only time an individual stone was used. But there was lots of opportunity to use individual stones. Uh, to do well, they did. There was another one. Cap, uh, Captain uh, America used the Mind Stone on the other Captain America. Did he? I think he he used the he used the scepter at one oh, point. Oh yeah, to, he touches him with it. Yeah, yeah. So that's the other time. That's the Mind Stone. That was also another time that an individual stone was used for its intended purpose. But you know, each individual stone. I don't know if you've ever done any reading on them, but they each have a whole bunch of different aspects, and they also have individually they have their own pocket universe that Whoa. you can go to and do stuff in. Jeez. Uh, but then you know the in the comics they get into that, but in the in the MCU. They they didn't get into it. <laughs> tough to fit all that into a into a movie, but eh, I don't know. I, I I see what you're saying. I mean, they could have done more with the stones individually, but I mean, how that I feel like that could have been confusing and unnecessarily complicated. Like, I don't mind that they stuck to the idea that you know what, sure they're powerful, but put them all together, and that's really what we're worried about here. Yeah, but I, I see mean, your point. Can, yeah, to get somebody who can wield the power stone. And then uh, you can screw with Thanos' army with just the Power Stone or just the Time Stone or just the Mind Stone or whatever you wanted. Power Stone and the Mind Stone together because the Power Stone amplifies whatever. So if you have the Mind Stone and the Power Stone, you could basically, what you did with that scepter on an individual basis, you could do with everybody in the universe. (laughs) Jeez. These (laughs) stones. Quite the MacGuffins. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I I just, I I think that they kind of glossed over how fucking powerful these things are individually. Sure. I mean, they said it, but you're right. They don't really demonstrate it. Yeah. Whereas in the first one, 
in the first half of this movie, the Avengers uh, Infinity War, they did that. Like the each stone was used individually before Thanos got a hold of them all. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, they were focused on bringing everyone back, and that's what yep. they did. They did. So Avengers, Endgame, remarkable achievement in my opinion. I loved every second of it pretty much, and I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, but it, it does make me want to go back and watch all the rest of the movies again because it ties them all in so well. And I think I would rather go back, back and watch... Uh, you know, I've seen Captain Marvel and... Uh, Endgame in theaters recently. They're both still in the theaters. I think if I had a choice, I'd go back and watch Captain Marvel again before I'd go back to... I'll definitely be watching these movies again in the future, but in the theater, if I had a choice between the two, I'd go back and watch Captain Marvel. Interesting. No, I'd see Endgame again, or possibly both. I am looking forward to seeing Captain Marvel again. I really enjoyed that movie too. Uh, But Endgame, I, I was just so amazed and how well they pulled this off. And it makes me sad that it's kind of over, but excited for what's to come. But like I said at the beginning, if they never made another MCU movie, I would feel pretty satisfied with the way it all turned out. Yeah, they're, they got a, I just looked it up. They got a shitload of uh, movies coming in the future. The Black Widow, The Eternals, Doctor Strange sequel, Black Panther sequel, Guardians of the Galaxy sequel, Ant-Man sequel, Captain Marvel sequel, Thor sequel. Yep, Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, the Spider-Man. Uh, so I was just looking at future projects other than the one that has actually has a release date. And Disney now owns the X-Men. So at some point, probably not right away, we're going to have the X-Men incorporated into this big thing too. I, I can't, I can't find a way to mentally with, uh, incorporate X-Men with the MCU. Don't you have some faith though, that they'll be able to do it after what we've just seen? Like they well, seem we, to be We do good have at this crossover. Thing. Uh, Speedy Guy was in both, right? Uh, what's his name? Quicksilver? Quicksilver, yeah, because Quicksilver was in, uh, you know, he was in the, uh, the X-Men movies, obviously, uh, but Quicksilver was um, uh, the fast guy in... Yeah, was he in both? Are you... Yeah, he, Quicksilver was in uh, Age of Ultron. He was the twin brother of uh, Magic Lady. Right. Olsen Lady. Olsen, what's her name? Uh, Scarlet Witch, yeah. Yeah. So they're 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 brother and sister, and he dies in uh, um, Age of Ultron. But that's Quicksilver. That's the same character as in X Men. Right. Okay. Yeah. You're right. He was in X Men: Days of Future Past, X Men: Apocalypse, some other ones. And but they're then, different characters, right? Because the in the MCU he has a backstory, and in the X Men he has a different backstory. Right. You're right. He was in Age of Ultron and Winter Soldier. Yeah. But so kind of a different character, but same and different at the same time. Yeah. Same okay. character, different backstory. <laughs> so I, I, that's one example of, I don't understand how they're going to, you know, mix these, these two. And even uh, in the MCU, everybody's powers are explained by some kind of technological something that happened. Even right? Thor? Well, Thor's a god, so that's yeah. different. He's okay. he's an alien. Yes. Uh, but, you know, Captain America, the Hulk, Iron Man, uh, Black Widow, uh, Hawkeye. I mean, they have uh, 
heightened abilities and they're incredibly intelligent, but they don't have innate powers necessarily. Right. right. Except, well, except for uh, the Scarlet Witch. I think she got them through uh, the experimentation of somebody or other. Uh, I think they explained that in Age of Ultron where she, they showed up. Right. But you're were, saying the X-Men are mutants. So their powers are, are mutants. part of their, they weren't given to them. They were born with them. Right. So they don't quite fit into the MCU in my humble opinion. I don't, under, I know that they'll explain it, but it seems like, and even in the comics, I haven't been able to, I know they happen in the same universe, but I can't. I can't explain how they, or I can't correlate them in my mind. Okay. Well, maybe they won't. I mean, maybe they'll just keep them separate, but I, I don't know. Uh, but I'd like Deadpool to show up in the MCU. I think that would be fantastic. And he's <laughs> been cursed by a demon and can't die. Yeah. But they don't explain that in the movies either. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Deadpool, I think has more chance of showing up in X-Men movies than the other way around. Well, uh, yeah, he's already, right? he's, uh, you know, part of the X-Men universe. He's like, already, that, yeah. I don't know, but this, this is what I mean. Like as, as much as, as this was a finale, there's so much more potential and more to come. And we live in amazing times, Jason. We do. For superhero movies anyways. Well, and you said that, you know, they've never done, nobody's ever done anything like this before. Having 22 movies that have had an overarching storyline that comes to a, you know, a conclusion in a single cinematic masterpiece, as you say. Totally. But, uh, and will they ever do it again? I don't know. They might splinter off into a whole bunch of movies. How are they going to explain things? Because they have, uh, you know, when they started with Iron Man, they started with the Hulk, but would really they started with Iron Man. It was just uh, this guy who got into a situation and had to, you know, technologically work his way out of it, mm-hmm. right? He had to build this iron suit. He had to, they had the constraint of this thing in his chest and uh, it just went on, you know, went from there. But now we have an entire galaxy of aliens and gods and all this shit that they have. How, you know, how can they have a movie that kind of focuses down like that again? And they can't. Mm-hmm. In my in my opinion, they can't have a movie like Iron Man again, where this one guy does this one thing, and then the bad guy happens to be a guy he works with. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. They've they've uh, made their bed, and they have to, and it's a big sprawling bed, and they have to lie in it now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It'd be tough. I mean, Captain Marvel can. You know, where can they go? They can do anything with her, right? You can just head off to another planet and have another story. I mean, they can do that with Thor. They do that with Guardians of the Galaxies all the time. I mean, in a way, they can do that with anybody. They did send Black Widow and Hawkeye in a spaceship alone to a foreign planet. These are these are humans that have never left Earth. But, you know, go, go right. on, guys. Go do your thing. So, like, <laughs> yeah. they, can, they can pretty much do whatever they want. Well, I've got two final things. To, to wrap up with here. One is that I don't think so, but I hope Stan Lee got to see this movie before he died because maybe, you know, it, I don't know if it was done before he died, but well, he knew about the plot and what was going to happen. Yeah. Right? I hope he at least there's, knew about it. Yeah. There's a scroll like when they, uh, I don't think they had the plan from the beginning, but once they got uh, Iron Man and Thor and uh, the Avengers, once they started the Avengers movies, they, they kind of 
plotted all this out. Yeah, I know. Was, I know he knew kind of, where it was going, but I just hope he got to see it at least in some form before he died because right. this is this is his thing, you know, from the beginning. And then finally, uh, I thought it was amazing how Tony Stark's final line in the original Iron Man movie was the same as the final his final words in Endgame. I think that was some pretty nice uh a nice touch anyways but what was that remind me at, at the end of iron man one he's up in front of a press conference and he's supposed to oh. deliver you know some speech but he says ah screw it i am iron man and at the end of this after he just as he snaps his fingers he says it not so confidently but he says the same thing i am iron man and Thanos disappears yeah. there you go pretty nice touch all right. Well, that was, w- I mean, I knew I had a lot to say going into this movie, but that was way longer than I expected it to be. So uh, I hope everyone else out there enjoyed this movie as much as I did. And even you, because I, I think you liked it a lot too. I really did. I really did enjoy it. I, I think I'm looking forward to seeing it not at midnight. Oh, totally. See it at a more respectable time next time. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, what is happening on the podcast from here on uh, the next thing we're going to do, I think will be a review of dead set. So we're going to watch the Netflix or I guess British BBC show. Was it BBC? Eh, I forget now. Anyways, the Charlie Brooker show from a decade ago called dead set zombie show um, that he started his career with looking forward to that. So that'll be coming up pretty soon and as i mentioned way off the top of this podcast we are going to do our walking dead season uh, nine wrap-up crossover with jason and karen from the dead cast um in a few weeks on may 17th if that's the friday i'll double check that so anyways keep your eyes open for those things coming along uh in the next little while but In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can visit our website at TalkingDeadPodcast.com to find all of our episodes and use the send voicemail link up on the top if you'd like to send us a recording with your thoughts. You can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheTalkingDead or on Twitter at TalkingDead. And of course, you can send all your email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Okay. I think that's been enough from us for one evening. So until next time, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.